0: Please stand as you are able for the reading from God's word. Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us approach with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another in love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be be to God. God.
1: Thank you, Meryl, for reading the word for us. Um, As I begin this morning, I want to apologize for my voice. I know I sound a little ill, but I am not. Uh, I made the mistake of going to uh, the Vanderbilt baseball game on Friday night and sat out for about five hours, and something was blowing in the air, and it was a combination of that and a bad call by the third base umpire. Um, I think both of those things together produced this. Um, I didn't go last night. I was in worship praying about the game, um, and this afternoon, uh, David Albright and I are going to take Bishop Pennell with us to the game. We're taking no chances. We're taking big guns to the game. Uh, in the form of an Episcopal uh, prayer person. And uh, we'll be cheering. There is one person in our ranks who has maroon and white on. And Keith, shame on you uh, for wearing that Mississippi State thing (laughs) to church. Uh, It'll be a great game. It's a great team. And we look forward to that. Uh, We are on the back nine now of our series called Heartwarming, in which we're thinking together a little bit about our lineage in terms of our Wesleyan theology in living out our Christian faith. And we've got two more weeks after today, and we'll finish up on June the 24th. I don't know if you saw the Scripps National Spelling Bee that took place about nine, ten days ago on Friday, June the 1st. Uh, It is a nail-biting, nerve-wracking thing that thankfully happens only once a year. Uh, It is often televised and students from all over the nation, as many as 500, will come to compete where they are given the opportunity in Maryland to display their intellectual prowess in the field of language arts. I noticed in the spelling bee that there were two words that kind of thinned the ranks or separated the men from the boys, the women from the girls. The two words that they struggled with were pseudopigrapha and bevustseinslaga. I have no idea what the last word means. I can barely say it, let alone spell it. But the word that won the contest was spelled by a 14-year-old named Karthik Nimani, who I believe is from Frisco, Texas. He is the 14th consecutive uh, Indian American champion. So, over the last 14 years, 17 of 19 years, by the way, an Indian American uh, has won the spelling championship. The word was a $40,000 word in terms of prize money. And the winning word was koinonia. You know that word? That's our word. You know, it's a good week when koinonia wins the spelling bee, and justify wins the triple crown. That's a good week for us. I mean, don't tell me that God can't speak through horse races as well as spelling bees. I think God's trying to get our attention at this point. It's an interesting word, koinonia, which literally means fellowship. It's it's what we're doing here today. It means spiritual community. It means contribution or shared fellowship. I thought it would be interesting to sort of have a B-U-M spelling bee this morning, if you've got a minute, to give you two spellings of this word koinonia, only one of which is correct, and I'm going to ask you in your mind just now to choose the right number, the right word. There are two words, only one letter difference. All right? Are you ready? Those of you who vote for number one as being the correct word, please lift the hand. Thank you. Those for number two, please lift the hand. Those who abstain and wish you would stayed home today, lift the hand. Yeah. Well, thank you. All right. All right, here's the bad news. If you chose number two, I'm going to have to ask you to remain after church today <laughs> because we're going to have a little remedial spelling class for you so that you can get it right. The actual spelling is number one, koinonia. It's an interesting word to win the spelling bee, especially in our culture, because we live in such an isolated individualistic, groupthink kind of culture in in which today we are questioning the value of this. We're wondering if it really makes any difference. After all, our worship, our community, our partnership, we're questioning the value of spiritual fellowship. Now, according to Hebrews 10 that Merrill read for us, it is unquestionable to the writer of Hebrews that the word koinonia is worthwhile. In fact, verses 24, 25, what we've just read, let's let's read it together. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching." Now, please notice I've underscored and italicized that word, provoke. That is an interesting word. In the Greek language, it is paroxuno, which, get this, literally means to pester. Some of you have that gift. (laughs) Now, I I need to say to the Ordinans, Alison. Shelby, Adam, you will have people in your ministry who will pastor the pastor, and then you'll have a few who will pester the pastor. That's their gift. They're just trying to be biblical. I've noticed there are some who do one or the other, and the truth is, you need both. Don't you know in Israel there were many who considered Jeremiah the prophet a pest? Isaiah the prophet, a pest. There were many in the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin who considered Jesus a pest. And so sometimes the pastor needs to pester the people. But it's an interesting word choice. We often use that word provoke in an offensive way as though we're trying to incite some trouble, a negative response. But in this passage, it's used in a positive way. In fact, we could say it like this. Let us pester one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to, here's the other part, meet together. You know what the word is for meet together? Koinonia. Let us not neglect the fellowship as some are in the habit of doing. Apparently... There were some in the body to whom Hebrews is addressed. Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, second-generation Christians towards the end of the first century. Some say it was written by Paul. Some say Barnabas. Some say it was Apollos. And there's one who actually says Priscilla wrote this letter, written to second-generation believers, some of whom had sort of uh, lost their mojo you know what I mean. They lost their, their passion, lost their steam. Maybe it was because of persecution. We know at the end of the first century that Christians were being harassed, insulted, and injured, persecuted for one reason, because of their confession of faith, because they would not bow the knee and say, Caesar is Lord, only Jesus is Lord. Maybe it was that. There are some who suggest that maybe in this second generation, That as time passed and the end, the second coming didn't come, that entropy began to happen. I I think that happens in the 21st century. Spiritual entropy begins to happen where we don't really intend for this to happen, but we get so busy with secondary things that we begin to neglect the primary things. Koinonia is a primary thing. It is an invaluable word that I think sometimes needs to be spelled out in the church and in the world. And there's no question to me that it was the secret sauce of the Methodist movement. Everywhere that Mr. Wesley preached, and he preached a little bit of everywhere in England, rode his horse over 250,000 miles across England, most say that he got his sermons together not just in his home study but in his saddle between one village and the next. But the secret sauce of the movement was not Wesley's preaching. It was this organization that he had, this gift of administration. Everywhere he went, koinonia happened. He set up societies, he set up small groups, he set up classes and bands in which, and I quote, the people can watch over one another in love. Oh, I love that. Not to be judgmental of each other, but to watch over one another in love. Small groups. Now, the truth of the matter is that small groups did not originate with Wesley. He stole it from Jesus. Jesus didn't change the world, his lonesome. He chose 12 disciples and a handful of women and he bound them together relationally. He lived with them. He prayed with them. He taught them. He pastored them. He pestered them. He provoked them to love and to do good. And then he just turned them loose. After the ascension, he gives his spirit to them. He empowers them. He breathes upon them and like wind and fire, off they go with the gospel, and together they change the world. Of course, it became a part of the DNA of the early church. Did you know that in the Greek language, the word for church is ecclesia? Ecclesia. It has nothing to do with brick and mortar, has nothing to do with carpet, with benches, pews, soft pews, it means assembly. Gathering, it means togethering. The first churches were not sanctuaries, they were not cathedrals, they were people's homes. And in groups no more than 10 or 12, they would meet together, they would read the Scripture, they would pray together, and hold one another accountable in love. Mr. Wesley discovered or rediscovered in the 18th century the mutual accountability of fellowship that is absolutely critical to the Christian faith. In fact, do you remember how he said, holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. In other words, you can't do it by yourself. The gospel of Christ, he said, knows of no religion but social religion, no holiness but social holiness. And he's not talking necessarily at that point about social activism. He's talking about doing faith in groups. Mr. Wesley said, to turn Christianity into a solo act is to destroy it. Somebody asked me the other day, Pastor, do you think you can be a Christian without the church? And I said, well, I suppose, but I also think you can get to England without a boat or a plane, but it's a tough swim. Christian community cannot survive without koinonia. It's invaluable. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. So Mr. Wesley would organize these groups, these classes, where they would meet together once a week for Bible study fellowship, for prayer. The class leader was not a pastor, was not ordained, didn't wear a stole. The class leader was a layperson who was trained by local lay pastors and these bands, these groups would continue to worship on Sunday in their local parish. But the truth is much of their spiritual growth and pastoral care, it happened in these groups. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we've got them all over the place right here. Crossroads, Connections, Robert I Moore, Joyful Noise, Wesley Forum, all of these groups, children, youth, Sunday school groups, they're everywhere And it's there that the faith is being sanctified, mature. It's fascinating to me that there was one condition that Wesley had in order to join one of the groups. You know what it was? That I I desire to be saved from my sins. That's it. You're in, if you can admit that. Now, if you have no sins, if you don't believe in sin... You don't need to be here. We need to be worshiping you. But that's the only requirement, to flee from the wrath to come, to desire more than anything else to be saved from our sins. And the condition, the criterion assumed that we want accountability. I'm not sure that's always the case. Sometimes I think we avoid koinonia, because frankly, I don't really want to be accountable to anybody but me. And then I look through the Bible and I see, oh my goodness, that's how we got into this mess in the first place. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, all that you, ha- all that you want is here, one prohibition. And they couldn't take their eye off of that one prohibition because they wanted to be God rather than to obey God. And that's our dirty little secret. As the Wesleyan movement began to flourish, Mr. Wesley had three rules for each group. I love this. It's very simple. I wish I could make it more complicated for those of you who like complexity. But in fact, Reuben Job, who died a year and a half ago at The Heritage, wrote a book called The Three Rules on this very simple. Do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. Now, it sounds easy, (laughs) but it's not so easy. I mean, the first two need no explanation, right? Do no harm, do good. But the third one needs some interpretation. What Wesley said, he didn't actually say stay in love with God. It's what he meant. But what he said was, attend to all the ordinances of God. You say, well, that didn't clear it up for me. What's an ordinance? An ordinance of God, says Mr. Wesley, is a means of grace. In other words, an ordinance is a proven method or practice that becomes a gateway into a deeper experience with Christ. And he mentions six of them that are instituted in the Scripture. So... Here's the point. If you want to grow in grace, then these six things will be critical to you. Number six, the word fellowship, what we're doing here this morning, can also be translated to mean what we're doing Wednesday through Friday, holy conferencing. That means having holy dialogue. Here's a concept. It means having civil discourse about what's most important in your life. These ordinances, these disciplines, he also called works of piety that we are to practice in the koinonia if indeed we truly want to grow up in grace. But you can't do it purely in isolation. It's in community. The ordinances of God are not ends in, of themselves, and so we don't worship communion, we don't worship the Bible, they are means to an end, to a goal. But what's the goal of all of these ordinances? Sanctification. To be spiritually mature in Christ, to have a holy life, to stay in love with God. These works of piety then become works of mercy in the world. You see that? You can't separate the two. You can't separate personal faith from social holiness. They are two sides of the same coin. In fact, if we neglect the meeting together, those spiritual practices, it won't be long before there won't be any mission. If we neglect this, we're not going to be in South Africa for long if we neglect the internal part of what's happening, there won't be any OFAM, there won't be any Middle East initiative, there won't be any room at the inn because it is the interior, it is the works of piety that produce and fuel the works of mercy in the world. The means of grace that shapes the heart The inside also changes the outside. This is why Mr. Wesley never said what many clergy live by. He never said, the parish is my world. He said, the world is my parish. And the ultimate purpose then of koinonia, fellowship, is transformation. That's why the writing is on the wall the mission of the church to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I finish with this. We have worship on Saturday night here, and I was preaching last night and the week before, and I came in a little bit early, and all the best seats were gone. The back rows were full. And as I was coming in, I don't even remember who it was. There, was. there was a lady there. She said, Pastor, I have a question for you. And she asked me a question that I've never been asked before. And I don't think I really did a good job of answering it. I had to think about it. I've been, I've been haunted by this question. She said, Pastor, what is your favorite day of the week? I thought, well, I, you know, I like them all. Now, if you were to ask my my administrative assistant, what her favorite day of the week, she'd say Monday because that's my day off. Monday is my favorite day in many ways because it's my time with Sherry. With most of you live by TGIF. We live by TGIM. And so while you're going back to work, we're enjoying a little Sabbath usually together. Now, I love Mondays. I love Tuesdays because it's staff meeting. I mean, sometimes I call it staff infection, but most of the time... Most of the time, it's a great thing. I love it, Tuesday all day, most of the day. Sometimes all staff, part staff. And then staff parish sometimes on Tuesday evening. Wednesday morning, I love Wednesdays. Bishop Spain, Bible study, 7.30, it's wonderful. And then there's meetings and administration and then there's missional kinds of things. And Thursday morning, study, love that. Thursday afternoon, missional kinds of things, pastoral kinds of things. Friday, oh my goodness. Friday is the day that I set aside just for study, just to be alone with God and to work on sermons and scripture and to have them work on me. And Saturdays, weddings, funerals, and polishing up. And it hit me. My, I think my favorite day is Sunday. Sometimes I'll stand up by the conference room before the 815 service and just look down in the North X and just watch it happen. Koinonia, people coming in the door sometimes on four flat tires and somebody will greet them with a hug or somebody will shake their hand or somebody will wipe their tear and just love on them. And I just sit there and think how beautiful. I love Sundays. But I couldn't really answer it because it occurred to me that my favorite day is none of those days. My favorite day is today. It's today. Whatever today. You don't have tomorrow. You're not guaranteed of next week, but you've got today the grace of God today, and the person seated on either side of you needs to see that. Koinonia isn't just for you. It's for the people around you. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. We rejoice in it. Oh, I love today. There's a word for it, What's happening here? It's K O I N O N I A. I tell you, it's a $40,000 word. It is a priceless word through which God spells out to the world G R A C E. We need to spell that word out in this world, in the way that we live, and in the way that we serve, to the glory of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.